This podcast is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S.co. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And you? I'm well, and we, I think we're sitting somewhere in Capital Theatre, which was actually a very old theatre in Singapore. And we are talking to Charlotte Yaconi, president of the Telstra Software Group, and also the startup accelerator under Telstra called Murudi. And this is a very difficult interview that we got to arrange. I think we did it in a very short time. That's right. And we're sitting right in the middle of the cafe, so pardon the sounds in the background, and it may sound very soft. So I wanted to get to know you better, Charlotte. I think we're just having a cup of tea here. So how did you get started in your career? Oh, I got started in my career because I found myself coming out of high school and preparing for college. And I had received a grant from a private company in the town that I grew up in that they would pay for my college, my tuition, my books, but only if I would go into an engineering degree. And the other requirement was I had to get accepted into a school that was in the top three of that particular field of engineering expertise. So I blindly applied and got accepted into a program at the time, University of California, Berkeley, which was in its early days, very much in its infancy, but it was a double major in electrical engineering computer science. And I went off to college and spent a couple of years doing it, and I ironically decided I hated computers and much preferred statistics and queuing theories. So I transferred to a different school, Georgia Tech, and did my major in industrial engineering and management science with a focus on statistics and queuing theories, only to graduate. And my first job was working for a company that was called Anderson Consulting at the time, a very good finishing school for most people, where they promptly had me go apply all of my engineering expertise in writing manufacturing software for their line of practice in the manufacturing sector. So I ended up right back where I started, which was programming in a new technology at the time on an IBM AS400 platform. And in my early days, started out as a software engineer. And I loved it greatly. And I was in my mind, one of the best engineers out there and ended up actually working with IBM as part of their product group with the AS400 platform uh, until someone decided that I actually needed to go manage people. And I hated that for many years. I, I could not appreciate why I had to manage other engineers as opposed to just not write my own code. But eventually I learned along the way that what's most valuable is the people around you and that the collective can actually create far more than the individual if properly aligned and properly focused. You have actually very interesting experience across corporations, for example, EMC, VMware, AT&T. And then you also have also managed a high growth startup as well as a CEO. The interesting thing I wanted to ask is what are the interesting career lessons that you have learned so far? Oh, I've learned many. And I, to your point, I have actually had the fortune of, of working in a variety of different industries and a variety of different roles. I think I just shared with you one important lesson, which is the people become very valuable, particularly the longer you go in your career. It's more and more about the talent uh, around you, less so about your talent. A good person, good colleague and, and mentor of mine once told me, it's not what you know, it's who you know and what they know. 
that really is important. And I, I have found that to be true the longer I'm in whatever role that I'm in and in my career. I think there are probably a few other important lessons, which is it, it is really important to any job, any role that I take. My entire mission is making myself unnecessary, whether it was being CEO of a startup where you're everything from the janitor to the head salesperson, to the head payroll, to the head marketer, your job is to actually turn that idea into a business that can sustain and grow and scale. And therefore, you should never put yourself as critical path, even though you may need to be critical path at certain stages of, of the formation of that journey. I think in larger corporations where I've managed thousands of people, similar lessons in the sense that you want organizations and you want processes and you want the workflow to actually be self-sustainable and evolve and be adaptable. And so you start looking at things like organizations as tools to enable you to get work done. And, and if they don't get work done, then you need to change them. But the whole point is to create something that self-sustains and evolves and adapts much more naturally and organically than just something that you constantly have to be critical path, either from a management or a contribution perspective to, to progress. That's interesting. You have a very interesting job. You manage a software group and you also started a startup accelerator. Yeah. How did that happen? And what is your area of coverage? You know, so I've been with Telstra three years this month, actually. And when I started with Telstra, Telstra had a vision by which to actually get into software businesses, get into new business models that could create growth for their core business, actually get into adjacent businesses, invest in the ecosystems around them to cultivate talent and be able to actually recruit more resources to help Telstra on their journey, as well as to look at how they could build capabilities to transform themselves from a traditional carriage connectivity provider to one that is being disrupted and, and being able to actually not just survive but thrive in a new software-defined world. So when I joined Telstra, one of the first things we did was contemplate what it meant and, and all those various aspects. And ultimately, the conclusion that we came to was going through a journey of doing a portfolio of investments, not just one investment in one space, but looking at how we could create an entire portfolio of different types of investments. And the accelerator program, what we affectionately call Muru-D, Muru-D, by the way, is Muru is an Aboriginal term that showcases our heritage in Australia, and it's really meant to, Muru stands for a road or path to, and D stands for digital. And the main reason why we chose to go down the accelerator path was really the concept that software is a talent-based business. It's not a business where it's a very capital intense, you're going to go build a fixed asset, be it a network, be it another piece of infrastructure, and then you sell it and depreciate it over time. It's really about creating a very innovative set of intellectual property that you can monetize, create value out of, and that you can also continue to evolve and innovate on top of to continue to drive value to your customer. And you can only do that with talent. And so the accelerator program for Telstra and for myself really represented, first and foremost, a way for us to get involved in the ecosystem in our core market, Australia, learn what was happening with the entrepreneurs and innovators. But it was also meant to be a, an investment where over time the aspiration was to build a large depth and breadth of alumni network through mentors, entrepreneurs, all the people that go into making that ecosystem healthy and thriving 
because that represents our talent pool going forward, both for our core businesses and any businesses we may choose to get into over time. I thought I should just jump in to help my audience a little bit to understand Telstra. Telstra is a telecommunications company from Australia. I think they're globally well-known across Asia because I think their footprint extends to almost even in Seattle, in Singapore, in other parts of Asia as well. And I think they're in the traditional telecommunications and broadband business. For Murudi specifically, how does Telstra as a company engage startups via Murudi? Well, Telstra engages startups in two ways. First and foremost, Telstra was a big part of seeding our mentor program when we started our journey by providing resources and talents to come participate, actually helping the startups, be it if they needed marketing assistance, legal assistance, any part of the process in forming their business. They got engaged primarily through the mentor framework that we put into place with the academy. They also, though, learned a lot about what's happening in the ecosystem and a bigger part of the value contribution beyond just mentoring and and participating and getting exposure was actually the education they learned by all these new disruptive business models and taking a lot of those learnings back into their day job at Telstra and learning how to be a little bit more of an entrepreneur, if you you will, as opposed to just a, a strict entrepreneur. So, you know, the involvement began really as a, a grassroots movement. We're doing an accelerator. Who would like to be involved? We had a fantastic response. I mean, we have hundreds of mentors today, many of which come from Telstra, employee base and talent base, both in Asia and Australia. But I think the experience that gets shared in both directions, you know, they can share a lot of their wealth and knowledge because they're very tenured in, in certain subject matters share that with these startups that are looking to get off on their journey. But the, the more important part is the exposure that they get back to the ecosystem, to what the startups face in terms of their challenges. What does it look to set up a business where you don't come with the vast resources that exist within Telstra, because they don't for these young companies. What's happening in the ecosystem, their ability to interact with investors, the government on policies, universities that's producing talent, other corporate partners that have similar innovation programs. It's been a fantastic education going both ways, which I think has been one of the unique things. Beyond that, we also have startups that are leveraging Telstra infrastructure. They need a cloud-based solution to take their products to market. We also have, as part of what we do, we sponsor a variety of different technology initiatives when we launched our API program. Yeah, I'm really proud of the fact that in addition to Miradi, one of my responsibilities is we, we launched a developer portal for Telstra. It's about it's been up about 10 months. One of the first set of companies to really try that in terms of accessing our cloud services, accessing our network, was a batch of startups we had out of Australia. But today, we actually have 15,000 developers on our developer portal. And these are developers not just within Australia, but globally, that access it because it provides the main developer interface into all the different Telstra business units. For the startups, how do they gain access to Murudi? Do they get any subsequent funding or just mentorship? No, they get funding for our program. And actually, it would be great if you are okay for me to introduce my partner in crime here, my co-founder of Miridi, Annie Parker. Mm. And I think Annie can give just a real quick overview of the program and the structure. And it is something that's adapting and changing as we go, but I'll turn it over to Annie real quick. Nice to meet you, Bernard. Nice to meet you. How are you? I'm well. So they apply online, first off. We're actually open for the next cohort of startups here in Singapore in June. So if you know of any great startups, send them our way, please. They apply online. 
they fill out a really simple questionnaire, which basically is a high-level business plan. And then from those applications, we select the top 40 or 50 teams that we think not only have a great team, but also have a really interesting idea that can go global and we think we can help. From those 40 or 50 that we, we select at the top, we meet each of them face to face or via a, a video chat and kind of get to understand them, their motivations and why they care so much about wanting to fix this particular problem. Then we decide on a top 25 that we bring into Murudi here in Singapore and put them through two days of a boot camp where we bring 25 mentors, lots of competing advice, and essentially they get to try Nurudi on for size and see whether or not it fits for them. Then we select a top 15 who pitch to a panel of judges, which Charlotte always uh, is our chair. And together with that panel of judges that usually come from a background of angel investing, VC fund management, or have been an entrepreneur themselves, and they help us select the top 10. So Anne, I'm very curious to know, do you invest in any categories, like for example, e-commerce, mobile, or categories that are actually to align to Telstra's interests? So we get asked this question a lot, and actually we keep our net very, very broad with these digital businesses, because at the end of the day, we all know that it takes five to eight years for any of these businesses to go from zero to IPO or a major exit. So who's to know really what those categories are that are gonna be super interesting to Telstra customers in five or eight years time. Also, we wanna cast our net broadly so that we genuinely can find those extraordinary, disruptive, innovative software ideas because it's that interesting thinking, to Charlotte's point, that will help us to develop that talent pool. Remember, the premise behind Murudi was always around the ecosystem, making sure that we have a healthy and thriving ecosystem. So if you start restricting the types, you know, the, the one real requirement we have is that the company has to be digital. So if you want to open up a yogurt shop, that's fantastic, but this is not a program that can help in that regard. So I do think that's the important piece. To your point about funding, once they get selected into the program, we do provide a series of early seed stage funding. We do 40K, and we give you, when you get selected into the academy, you get your first tranche of 20K. And if you meet certain milestones halfway through the academy, which is six months long, so three months in, you get your second tranche. We do continue to evolve our funding sources, though, to make sure that we're staying up with the market in terms of what are the other accelerators offering, how do we make sure that we're being competitive. So as we go, we may adjust the amounts we put in, but today, that for the cohort that we're going to be celebrating today, that was the structure that we used. What are the traits in the founders of these startups that you are looking for? Maybe I'll start with Charlotte first and then I'll go with Ed. Look, at, at this stage of the company, you bet on two things. So, for example, when we do the final selection and we come in and do the pitch day, you are betting as much on the people as you are on the idea, and in some cases even more so. What you want to see is you want to see people that have a great passion for what they're talking about, and they also have a, an acumen to carry it forward. That doesn't mean they'll be consistent. Some founders I gravitate towards because they're very technical, and that's my background. Other founders I gravitate towards because they're really domain experts in the, in the problem area that they're trying to solve, but they may not be technologists, but you know that they're going to be able to actually carry the problem through. In other cases, it's much more qualitative than that. Some people just have that it factor that you'd be willing to bet on them regardless of the situation because you know they have the tenacity and the perseverance 
uh, and the passion and the drive to do what they need to do. Annie? I completely agree. It is absolutely all about people. And to build on Charlotte's point, the final thing that I always look for is whether or not that person is coachable. Can they listen to feedback? Can they absolutely harness the opportunity that they're going to get with all of these wonderful mentors that we're bringing through to introduce to them? And lastly, it's also down to will they pay it forward? If we're trying to build this amazing ecosystem that can thrive and can keep growing, it will only grow if, if the entrepreneurs that we invest in continue to pay it forward to the next generation too. I know today is the first demo day for the Singapore graduates. Before we come to them, I would be more interested to know, are there any interesting graduates from the Murudi program from all the other parts of the world? Absolutely. The good news is we've actually had a smashing success around if you wanted to look at the IRR and how the companies have performed post the academy. We've had 44 companies come through the program and they're all still in existence. Now that's not going to be that way forever. We will have some that fall off the rank, but I think each one of them has a pretty individual story. I have to go back though because I just remembered another really important life lesson Mm. and I think it's very germane to Murudi in general and, and even to Telstra's, Telstra's on their journey. We all have to remember that and I don't know who the famous person was that said it and they probably said it much more eloquently than I will but when you look at all the successful uh, people out there that have really had an impact on society their failures were actually what defined their success it's very rare that somebody is just successful after success after success and that's what they're known for if you look at the really disruptive forces particularly in tech Bill Gates Steve Jobs These folks had a series of of notable failures before they ever hit their big success. And I think that's really important. It's a really big part of the program, too. Even, Even with the companies coming through and those that may fall off the wagon along the way, that's going to make them better. And they are going to contribute back those learnings to make the next part even more interesting. And so I think that's a big part. Annie is exactly right. We look for those that give back. And give back learnings, right? It doesn't have to always be successes. What are the interesting graduates from the Murudi program that you have seen so far prior to the Singapore Demo Day? Interesting graduates. Now, it doesn't need to be successful. I'll start whilst Mm. Charlotte's thinking. One of my favorites was from the first intake, and it's called Pixie. And what they do is image re-editing for small e-commerce sites. Um, And one of the reasons why I love the business, or I love the person behind the business, is she absolutely exemplifies uh, the CEO that is called Holly Kaji. Um, She absolutely exemplifies what we just described there about tenacity, about learning from failure, and about giving back. What I also love about her business is she is so focused on growing and scaling, and she's not other than the investment that she took from us and then from another accelerator that she went through in the US, she's actually managed to fund all of her own growth so far. And she is about to start a new fundraising round very shortly, but I love it when founders are so successful that they can actually fund their own growth. And I think that's something that we do, we do need to celebrate more rather than just the size of someone's round. I think one of my favorites is know who I'm going to talk about. But it was actually in our second cohort out of Sydney, one of our companies, Disrupt, that actually does custom sports equipment uh, along with a pretty unique approach to how they want to do e-commerce to get the word out. But it's really a bunch of surfers who started it and they quickly recognized they could manufacture surfboards 
custom surfboards at a more competitive price point than what was previously out there. When they were in the academy, the founder and CEO actually got in a very unfortunate accident, got hit by a car, and had, it was quite a devastating injury. He was in the hospital. He had some brain trauma associated with that. As he was in the hospital recovering, he actually wrote a blog about the similarities of brain surgery to being CEO of a startup. It was just an amazing blog post. His name is Gary. His passion for what he was trying to do, even through a very, very serious personal situation that almost cost him his life, he always remained focused on the business and he always remained focused on helping all the other entrepreneurs around them. So they successfully graduated. They've been doing a fantastic job, actually have done a variety of partnerships throughout Asia as well as Australia and are moving well beyond surfboards. But I just, I have a great affection for those who, who can sort of connect the dots on their personal and professional lives, but have the passion to just be constantly wanting to move the world forward, not just themselves, not just their business. He's another great one. What's the company's name, if I may ask? Disrupt. Disrupt, okay. You should look them up. This is my penultimate question. Why did Telstra decided to start up an accelerator in Singapore, given that it's relatively a small market? The follow-up question to that is, what makes Singapore an ideal launch pad for regional startups and entrepreneurs? And, I, and the reason why we are here is to celebrate your first group of founders for this demo day. Look, that's, that's quite a, a rich question. I will tell you, at the time when, when we started off Miradi and we, we really set our sights on, first and foremost, getting an awareness and helping the Australian ecosystem, and that still remains a big part of our, our mission. As we got underway in Sydney, we had fantastic success there. We found all sorts of learnings about what was happening in Australia. One of the key things that we did learn, for example, is on the investment side. While Australia actually has a lot of high net worth individuals, they have a pretty healthy angel investment network. They also do later stage funding in, in a significant way. But there are just gaps in their investment portfolio when you look at the country. You know, there's not a lot of Series A funding. There's not a lot of late-stage angel funding. That kind of forces a need to go look at other places to create deal flow for the ideas coming out of Australia. We started under that premise looking at where is it that we thought there may be some attraction. But I think the other very important part of the mission that we see is it's not okay just to have a regional and healthy entrepreneur and innovation ecosystem. In today's world, you have to be relevant in a global economy. So it was very important that we actually take the next step and move beyond just Australia and how we thought about that. And Singapore was a very likely market for us. First off, Southeast Asia is a fascinating place. It's, it fascinates me just on an academic level with what's happening here and the amount of buying power that really exists within Southeast Asia. But beyond that, I think for a company like Telstra, who's, who's obviously started investing in Southeast Asia, we have our partnership in Jakarta, Telecom Telstra. You know, we're, we're very interested in the space. We consider it a market for ourselves as well. You know, Singapore became a likely place. First and foremost, it was a place that day one is known as multinational. That's really important. I think that's actually something that's going to be a unique identifier for Singapore in the future. I think if you look at Singapore's track record between 2012 and 2016, the growth here has been pretty phenomenal, whereas other ports of presence across Asia have had more volatility. Hong Kong was very, very mature and it's, it was almost over mature in some cases, while Singapore was, was still growing and evolving. So I think from my perspective, Singapore 
ended up being a very natural place when we looked across the landscape, given our interests, given what we wanted to do. And I think it gives us more of a global presence than what we had before. I think in terms of the region and the economy and what's happening, look, it's a, it's a very interesting time. I think there's, you look at other markets like China and Silicon Valley, which you know have, have been traditionally much more mature than either Australia or Singapore, but they're undergoing a course correction at this point. I can tell you, particularly in the Valley where I spend most of my time, the IPO market has undergone a significant change, if not a, a hard freeze, if you will. Funding is evolving around what's happening on the economic side within the U.S., similar thing in China. I think Singapore, throughout all that, is continuing to grow, and it's continuing to grow because it's been focused on more emerging markets like Southeast Asia, and I think that is going to be continue to be a growth market and continue to be very interesting. And any thoughts? completely agree with, with Charlotte. I think the only things I'd add are two other parts of the decision-making criteria. Firstly, the Singaporean government has worked really hard to, I think, create conditions which are positive for startups to start up and for investors to invest. And I think that was that ecosystem um, as a result of, I think, a lot of the government's hard work there that Charlotte just mentioned, the growth over the last sort of four or five years has in, in some way come from, from that support from government. So that helps. I think the other part of it as well for us was when we look at one of the biggest assets that we have with Moody in Sydney, it's access to subject matter expert that sit within the Telstra family. So when we looked at Telstra Singapore and equally with the recent acquisition of PacNet as well, there is such a lot of talent locally here on the ground that we can draw on and that ability for us to bring in great people our entrepreneurs to work with to help them build the global businesses they're trying to build it became a very obvious choice when we when we basically got feet on the ground here and started to realize the opportunity well wow, that's a lot <laughs> interesting thoughts on there that comes to my last question and i'm going to ask you both separately Anne and charlotte where can my audience find you so you can find me just about anywhere I would direct for those who have an interest in, in the Accelerator program, Mirudi Sen is what our handle is on both Facebook and at Mirudi Sen for yeah. Twitter. And then I think we have Mirudi Sid on the Mirudi AU. Mirudi AU. Ah, there you go. Sorry. Um, to represent the Aussie side of the house. For myself, I'm at Yark8231 for Twitter. And I'm at Annie underscore Parker. There you go. Thank you. You can find me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And of course, tweet to me and give me your feedback. And once again, Charlotte and Anne, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. My pleasure.